Okay, yeah, I've got one. So I had a very traditional property class um, and it was kind of boring. We got an assignment during the first week and the assignment was to take a picture of, of something that you own. Um, so I decided to take a fake nude and then you see, you see, you know, Dylan Yan's booty like projected ten feet high in front of everyone. You know, it's, uh, it makes now I have to ask in light of this story: Did you choose to go to McGill, or were you asked to go to McGill? Welcome to What's Law Got to Do with It, a lighthearted look at life in law school. I'm Professor Richard Haig, and I'm three L law student Felicity Rudan. Felicity. How Richard? is how are things today? Is oh, it same old steel or is it something it's, new? It's not same old steel today. No? It's uh, I have just come, as you know, from from getting my grad photos taken, and I got home to a, an email about the licensing process, and I'm just I'm not ready. <laughs> I'm not a grown up yet. I don't want to. Right. Well, you know what you should do for people who's not ready. It's just stay in school, go and do a master's, do a doctor. There you go. Yeah. Another master's, a yeah. fourth degree. Yes. Why not? Who needs employment? And, uh, you can have one of those extra long business cards. Because I think I already do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, oh, but getting your grad photos, that's always a nice thing, isn't it? Yeah. It's very exciting. Yeah. My mother will be excited. Yeah. But uh, now I'm even more checked out than I already was. So <laughs> here we go. Uh-oh. I, uh, certainly this podcast has nothing to do with that. This is This keeps you connected to law school in the best one way foot in the door yeah <laughs> all right moving on we always banter I, I timed our banter Felicity and sometimes it's been three minutes we're pretty good today uh, it's it's, it's, uh, it's it depends on the day yeah depends yeah. on the steel if you will it, <laughs> anyway so as always we have a fantastic guest to uh, with us today and I will uh, well I'll just hand it over Dylan tell us a little bit about yourself why are you on the show <laughs> Hi guys, uh, my name is Dylan Yan, and I'm an alcohol. I'm a, I'm a law student. Uh, <laughs> I'm a law student. Um, I okay, just like a little background about me. Um, I did my undergrad at McGill in microbiology and immunology, and then I uh, a little bit green behind the ears came to Osgood for a year. I had Haig as uh, my professor in uh, uh, public and constitutional law, and then recently I uh, decided to transfer, switch law schools, start again at McGill. So I, I'm doing uh, my first year of law school a second time at, at McGill University right now. That's a good good intro. So before we get into that in more detail, you know the second question we always ask, which is yeah, yeah, I'm aware. I, need to tell I have you, to come I? with a recommendation. Yeah, <laughs> to come with a law law TV or movie recommendation. And this is brutal for me because like I hate I hate law, law movies burning passion. There's something just inherently mundane and kind of boring about legal movies. And they have the same sort of scenes where like you have the lead looking hot in a suit and they discover the lead about the case that they really could have figured out and probably did in like the basement of their home late one night. I don't know. So the way that I view legal movies, I try to find an interesting way into them. Um, so uh, my partner and I have, have two kind of spectrums. Uh, the first one is how far removed from a legal movie can we get with a star whose like background is, is law, or sorry, not a star, a character whose background is law. So, so if I was to go down that route, uh, I would say that uh, my favorite legal movie is in fact Point Break, uh, because Keanu Reeves' character in Point Break is a law student. Johnny Utah as he surfs around and beats up bad guys. It's just an incredible legal film. 
Freeze! Special Agent John Utah, day number one in L.A. Welcome aboard. You want to nail the bank robbers and be a big hero? Definitely. That's Bodhi. They call him the Bodhisattva. You want the ultimate, you gotta be willing to pay the ultimate price. Sure trust tomorrow. Next day outside the latest. Or I guess the Ted Bundy tapes, but that's kind of dark, you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, that no, that look. You're, first of all, you're not the only one to say that. You you're in good company because one of our previous guests, who is associate dean Karen Drake, says she hates, generally hates law movies because yeah, they're unrealistic, and especially as a lawyer, she's had enough by the time she gets home. At the end of each day, had enough law that why would you want more? In your entertainment so that so you're you're in that camp oh, anyway but then i have to say that i don't think yeah, no i'm on track to be the dean oh yeah <laughs> no it wasn't that that was not the point i was making <laughs> but i'm not particularly sure that microbiology movies are any better by the way of than law movies i've seen outbreak that was pretty good yeah. patrick dempsey i'll do it okay okay maybe <laughs> maybe <laughs> But, we could do a whole rating of like how attractive the lead is in the law movie, and that would be another whole set of, of, uh, of recommendations oh yeah, I'm not, right there. We're not going down that path. But anyway, that's good point. That's a first. So we've we've not had either of those two recommendations. I'm I'm discounting the Bundy one, but so that's good. So, so yeah, go ahead, Felicity. Felicity, no, do you actually watch these? Uh, yes. I watch these like Adam does his readings. Oh. <laughs> I uh, watched some of them. Uh, good to know, I, good to know. No, I do. I, I look. The whole purpose of me asking this question when it went way back was that I needed recommendations of stuff to watch. So I, I do. Although every time somebody mentions Suits as their favorite, I still haven't watched Suits. I haven't got around it because the well, because it's funny how it seems to be quite divisive. It's not everybody's favorite, and so it hasn't really attracted me. But I watched. So Karen Drake suggested Trailer Park Boys. I watched that one episode. So there you go. It helps. So I will watch. Is it Was it Point Blank or Point Break? Point Break. Okay. <laughs> Got it. Got it. And I will look for the character of Keanu Reeves, Reeves as a lawyer. So listen, you're not here to talk about movies or your lack of interest in legal movies, but you're here because you mentioned in the outset that you are a student, first of all, doing year one all over again, which is... There's not many of you like that in the world, but no, seriously. Been getting up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just stay in first year law all your life; it'll be good. Uh, but no, but you transferred from Mosgood, so it's partly we want to discuss ideas about transferring, how that's how that worked for you, whether it was a good good move in the end. Uh, so yeah, what 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 led you to transfer out of one school into another? Well, I think that there's a couple lies they tell you in the form of aphorisms when you enter law school. And the first one is that you have to attend school where you want to practice. That's like a classic thing. Go to school where you want to practice. And so obviously that limited uh, my options to Toronto and I didn't really want to go the corporate route. So that kind of ruled out U of T and it's a little bit more absurd tuition than Osgood's. Um, and so when I told myself, okay, I want to be a Toronto lawyer, I thought I wanted to do uh, immigration and refugee law. And then after about, I don't know, about four hours in an immigration refugee clinic, I realized this isn't for me. Um, and so that sort of, uh, sort of uh, forced me to reevaluate all of my academic and professional choices up until that point. So McGill is nice because it, like academically, it offers a lot more flexibility with the civil and common law degree. Um, personally, my partner is also in law school. She's starting one L this year. Um, and she wanted to go to McGill. So, you know, like, 
like ride or die with the squad. And then I guess financially, you know, cheaper is always better. It costs me less to go to McGill for the rest of my lottery than it does for uh, another year at Osgood. So that makes the calculus pretty simple. Oh, <laughs> you got to rub that one in, don't you? Yeah, sorry about that, Felicity. <laughs> yeah, that's not what Felicity wanted to hear. But uh, no, that, those are all really good reasons. I have to say, listeners won't know, but Dylan and I had quite a somewhat... Uh, unusual relationship between prof and student in law school because Dylan basically needed therapy throughout law school. Hey, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> he came to my office. Seriously, no, you, you you came to my office with needing advice on all kinds of things, including whether you should leave Osgood to go to McGill. Not that I was going to even help, really. Ultimately, you made all these decisions on your own and you had no input from me. But Yeah, I was well, that helped you were a right? terrible therapist. <laughs> well, I mean, no, I he couldn't afford a real therapist because he had to pay Osgood tuition. Yeah, <laughs> so we right. get richer. May as well get free therapy. You're right. That's yeah. right. Uh, but no, I knew, for instance, you made a joke about not, uh, not going to class. I knew that you didn't go to class. You made a joke about <laughs> not going, not uh, all these aphorisms about where you should practice law. So I knew I, I had all this understanding of you because we'd had such long chats. So I'm glad to see. Are you happier in your choice now? I, I, this, the choice still hasn't sunk in. It's still a little bit surreal. Like through the pandemic, everything's online. Like I'm like telling myself I'm in school, but in reality, I'm just, you know, sitting there watching Netflix all day. Um, <laughs> I didn't attend class on the best of days in person. So my attendance has uh, has sorely dropped. Honestly, one thing I'm missing about uh, Osgood is the kind of like relative anonymity you have with like 100 student classes. Um, I hadn't logged into my uh, criminal justice course and I got like this aggressive email from student services being like, do you know that you can log in to my courses? Like, do you know that you have coursework on there? <laughs> uh, so you can't like hide in the back of the room and just put it off till the end of the exam anymore. They, they know who you are, which is, I guess, a pro and a con there. Well, you know, we can find out that in E-Class or Moodle on, at Osgood as well, but we, I don't. You can? Yeah, you didn't know this. It tells no. you when a student last accessed the website, so I know. Oh. Do you ever look? I used to, and then I thought, oh, I don't really, it doesn't really bother me whether a student has looked or not looked. Uh, it's uh, Yeah, it's one of those things you think that you might be interested, but really you're not after a while. So. I tell you for a fact, I never got tracked down for not touching my my uh, torts Moodle until like 48 hours before the exam. So Oscar doesn't care when you do work as long as you get it done you show up warm and breathing to the exam we i i i have to tell you both this there was a student at dal uh two years ahead of me so i was first year he was third year but he became legendary because apparently in his last year he never went to one of his single a single tax course at least that's all we know we don't know if he didn't go to any courses whatsoever but he never went to a single class in tax and the prof in tax learned this t at the very end and was incensed and so she delved deeply into the calendar and and legal requirements at, at dalhousie university and found that there is a clause in there that says a student must attend the class uh, you know a majority of the time and so she she basically failed him because she he, even though he wrote the exam he passed the exam but he didn't come to class enough so she failed him and then, of course that led to a big appeal on his part, because he said nobody knows that rule. Nobody law school students go to, don't go to law school in third year anyway, and that was his defense. 
and he it's he rounded really a dick move uh, <laughs> on, on <laughs> did he win part? the appeal on whose part the prof's part I, the prof yeah, the prof yeah, it is i agree did he I, win did I he win the appeal I, I think he did win because he had to pull so he pulled in a whole bunch of other students friends of his who also didn't go to class just not as infrequently as he did but said look half the class hasn't gone half the time so here's the proof anyway that gotta say that's a risky move because if the school had just been like well fine you all fail (laughs) (laughs) yeah i know imagine imagine being asked that question will you support me in this and then you think to yourself well hang on if i i didn't go either i i don't want to risk (laughs) anyway so dylan the point is you're in good company there's all kinds of people in law school that don't go to class it's it's actually a sad thing i think that's part of you know, I don't know why that happens in law. I think it's unusual for for legal discipline. And is it partly to do with the fact that you don't have anything to worry about until you know, hundred percent finals? You just kind of go at the end and write an exam. Yeah. yeah, I mean, for me, it's kind of like the false confidence of just having an open book exam, which I was never used to in undergrad. So I had to cram all this information in my brain and show up with it. But what I mean. With a law school exam, all of your first year exams, at least, are, are going to be open books. So you've got the answers in front of you. It's just, you know, uh, you just have to spending find some fun, some fun analysis on the page. Yeah, exactly. Dylan, do you find that it changes depending on the, the prof? Because I know for me, at least, it's like some profs are just just really engaging, and I just enjoy being in their class. I get more out of it, and some I'm just like I honestly could not care. Be, care- <laughs> be careful, yeah, Richard. Cover your ears for a second here. <laughs> yeah, watch out! Watch out! <laughs> You said you wanted honesty. Well, I don't um, know I how you would know how I teach since you did. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. So I think that there's like a, maybe this is kind of sophomoric, but there's like a false dichotomy in my head between teachers that require you to have um, an understanding of the material before class so that they can reaffirm it in class and teachers who want you to actively participate and use your brain in class. Um, a good example at, at uh, Osgood would be Hutchinson, who I think does very little prep for any of his courses. He just kind of shows up and whatever you bring to the table, he will start spitballing with and he will challenge all of your assertions and he'll kind of like set up these interesting rhetorical webs and kind of talk you in a circle and force you to like engage with the um, and there are uh, the the other uh, sort of category, which I'm sure Haig is a part of, which is you show up, he gives you a, a nice tight lecture, he'll play you some interesting music, and he'll send you on your way. <laughs> so I don't know. I think that it really depends on the type of uh, yeah, the style that you have. So that, that was a good answer because there's no pref- there's different folks, strokes for different folks, I guess, right? Some people do like the the challenge in the lecture. Some people like to be taught. I don't know. I what do you, Felicity? What's your What's your what's um, your ideal professor? Your vision of an ideal professor? Oh, like I have like a particular professor in mind, but I feel like it's weird to like fangirl no, about no. a professor. You gotta you gotta anonymize it somehow or okay. genericize um, it. Yeah, that's so. I think I don't like to read, um, so I don't like to like have to learn the material before I go to class because then I'm like, what am I paying for? Um, what the hell? So I like to go and have a prof teach me something, but then. I also like the like class participation and, and kind of working with the material in in real time. Um, but I, I do like the tightly prepared lecture with a little bit of class participation. Um, I, I don't like, and I have one right now on Zoom, the prof who just like scrolls through the internet on screen share and like has no seeming path at all. And I, I can't, I just, it's, I can't follow. Yeah. That, that can be tedious, especially on zoom. It might even be okay. If you've got 
a live classroom? Maybe, maybe. <laughs> Dylan, is there a difference between the Osgood approach and the McGill approach, or are they, is it all very much in, individualistic? Um, I've been trying to think about like the, the the clear distinction between the Osgood approach and the McGill approach. I don't think it comes down to teaching style. I think that especially with the online courses, you're going to have the Richard Haig style of teaching where he throws you uh, an online lecture, you don't attend, and then you watch it on two times speed before the exam, you know? Um, but, but in terms of like, I would say class participation and class engagement, uh, McGill is a little bit more relaxed on the student front and the questions that are asked. And I would primarily attribute that to the fact that the McGill curve is so steep. Um, everybody gets a B at McGill. That's that's the running joke. That's that's the rule. Whereas Osgood has a nice even distribution of the bell curve. You know, the ten percent of your class is going to get an A or whatever it is. Um, and so people don't really care as much, I think, because they all know that they're going to end up with the same grade, whether they ask ten questions or they ask none and don't attend. So I don't know if this episode has gone out yet. I don't think so. But Dylan, you won't know. You're the second person who said something like that. That like the change um, in how the grading curve works changes how people engage in class yeah yeah it's absolutely like an incentive process right like yeah i'm just there to get my grade and get out <laughs> it's it's so true a, a, an economist would look at that and say you're obviously that's exactly what you're going to ask for or what what you'll get when you design something a certain way and i i think that's true which is why so going back to dylan's first point about the the lecture that kind of engages just starts asking students questions and what that's the old-fashioned law school approach it's funny how that you know the reason I don't I used to do that as a prof but enough of a I got enough pushback from students in starting in the 2000s early 2000s that, that this was no longer acceptable that I just sort of started to <laughs> not do it anymore and yet I would I love teaching that way Whereas I think Hutch just kept at it. And, and, and yeah, Hutch doesn't care doesn't what anyone care, thinks about him. <laughs> I'm just going to continue on my own merry way. So I, you know, I, I recognize that I think that is a great way to teach and to learn. It means, and you, and yet you don't have to do the readings, frankly, right? Because it's, it's a way that you, yeah, you, you know. have to kind of think through things on the fly. And then you can do the Richard, don't you do don't you do a combo, Richard, where you do like a lecture and then the next session in the week? Is... Well, with small groups, I did a little bit of that. Right. So that was my approach. I remember Dylan. I, we did a few exercises where I made I, I, I pretended I was a government official once and just got got them to uh, grill me. I, I, I pretended they were all the lawyers. Yeah, I had exactly. 20 lawyers advising me on a problem. And that, and that was a little bit Socratic or. And I, I rejected a lot of their advice. And so I made them think through this, what they were saying. But it doesn't happen that often. It's hard. Yeah. I wish, as I say, I wish in some ways that we, uh, we all went back to that style. But it's clearly a thing of the past for most profs. Yeah, for me... For me, it's all about how much dopamine you can extract from the class, like, like how entertaining it's fun you're going to have and a lot of do with like the entertainment factor and the, the charisma of the prof. Um, so if you get that dopamine from the class discussion and, and the entertainment, I'm like forced to find other avenues, which usually, you know, it's not very constructive. Uh, I'm trying to think <laughs> of a good example. Okay. Yeah, I've got one. So I had a very traditional property class. Um, and it was kind of boring. We got an assignment during the first week and the assignment was to take a picture of, of something that you own. 
and justify how it's it's property law, which is pretty simple. People took pictures of their dogs. Um, apparently, dogs are considered property. You have to split them in half if you divorce. Um, they took pictures of their neighbor's fences, like cookies that they made, that sort of thing. And I sat there and I was like, what's the most ridiculous thing I could justify? So I just read this thing called Sex, Death, and IP by uh, some Harvard Law School prof. And they were talking in, that, in there about how sex workers who monetize uh, their work on the internet are having lots of IP lawsuits being uh, launched on their behalf because people are, are stealing and redistributing their pictures. So I decided to take a fake nude, uh, submit that to the slideshow that she was gonna show the next day. So I get a bunch of purple lights out for my roommates to help me. Uh, I, I, I find a banana in my kitchen. I'm, I'm standing there in my Crocs, I'm looking back at the camera, just like staring back at it. And I put a, like a nice little peach emoji over my derriere. Um, and yeah, and so that was, that was, uh, yeah, I was kind of forced to do that to keep myself entertained. And so the next day, obviously she had like, you know, the massive projector out, she's showing all the slides and she hasn't vetted beforehand because like, uh, her assistant has prepared it. And then you see, you see, you know, you know Dylan Yan's booty like projected 10 feet high in front of everyone. You know, it's, uh, it makes now I have to ask in light of this story, did you choose to go to McGill or were you asked to go to McGill? Yeah, that it fits with the Montreal ethos, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. They, they, yeah, they sign a, an NBA or whatever. So it was uh, your name? Yeah, they're like, no, 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 this guy. Was it obvious that it was Sorry, your, continue. was it obvious that this was your submission to the property uh, slides or? Yeah. I, I broke the cardinal rule of nude sending and I included my face in it. So oh, I think uh, that like, <laughs> it, it's hard to, it's hard to be like, that's your face. That's your, your small little body. Like I don't know any other Chinese men who look like that in the class. Uh, and this is all <laughs> over zoom though, of course. Right. Uh, was was it all over Zoom? Uh, no, no, no. This story. This was for Osgood. This is this is, uh, oh, this is last I, year. Oh, I thought um, this was this year. Oh, I, I attended that class a couple times. Now I get why Felicity says that. No, I can no, see no. why you were asked to, <laughs> to leave. Asked to leave. Yeah. <laughs> Take that peach emoji uh, and get it's, out it's, of here. It's, now we're learning. Uh, all this was bullshit. You coming to me for advice about where you should go? You actually, yeah, you're you're being forced out. That's the truth. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they pushed me out. They didn't want me. I thought that <sighs> that's a that should be a legendary story. That should have gone around. People should have said, "Oh, have you heard about what one student did last year in property class?" <laughs> yeah, I haven't heard that. I'll make sure that it makes the rounds, Dylan. You, well, it will now with this podcast. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you've heard about a couple of my uh, escapades on the exam, if I if I recall yes, correctly. Yes, I know that, but Felicity <laughs> doesn't know. Felicity's already got a good sense of who you are, though. I think. See, Dylan, um, <laughs> Dylan wears his heart on his sleeve. That's for sure, and other things too. I think. A... Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to tell it. I you have to. You said I have to anonymize anything that I say, right? Just for just to keep this above ground. Well, I can always edit if it's really dangerous, but go ahead. And okay, all right. Um, so I guess the the other story that made the rounds to the the faculty of the Osgood community uh, was due to my my torts exam. Um, so on, on the first day of class, the only torts lecture that I showed up to uh, was uh, <laughs> was the introduction lecture. And in the introduction lecture, uh, Dan Priel, who's been on this podcast, he opens everything with. Hi guys, uh, my name is Dan Priel, but you can call me Danny. 
he's cool like that, you know? He, he relates to the kids by leading with the first name. And so, you know, that's the only thing I remembered about him for the entire course. I didn't attend because I, I guess, schedule conflicts and just pure uh, apathy on the scholastic front there. Um, but when it comes time for the exam and it's at the, the back end of, of everything that we're doing and yeah, yeah I've only I put it together in 48 hours um, from start to finish. I'm a little bit uh, stir crazy. And the only thing I remember about him is that he starts uh, by naming himself uh, Dan. You can call me Dan or Danny. And the other thing that he did was he related torts. Um, he said torts is like a, uh, a, a, a fine woman. And I thought that that was weird. I thought that, that was a really weird thing to say about torts. Mm -hmm. um, so on my exam, I've got the essay question. He's asking us like how we feel about torts as a construct and whether we believe there are, are institutional problems with it. And so I pull thing with an analogy where um, uh, I just I, like non sequitur. I'm just like, ah, oh, torts is like uh, Catherine. And you know, she just she just won't call me back. Like I keep I keep trying to to get her to go on a date with me, but she's just she's just not about it. Um, obviously, making fun of that reference there. And the other thing I did in the exam is I called him uh, Danny the Manny because I thought that that was like a funny little rhyming name. Like, oh, you're so cool, we can call you Danny, and just like see how far I could push that. Um, but he didn't take that take too kindly to that. I don't think he got the analogy <laughs> that I was trying to make. Yeah, of and, course. And he was absolutely not a fan of the nickname Danny the Manny. <laughs> <laughs> so now the truth comes so, out. So uh, you showed in the, in the grading, you were you were punished for that lack of respect. Is that right? Yeah. He told me in fewer words that I would have gotten an A in his course if I uh, if I had chosen a different uh, nickname for him. <laughs> uh, well, uh, I. Uh, this is going to go on longer than I have, but I have a good story on that too, which is, and th part of this is advice to students going in. You know what? I, there, I always say people should be creative in the exams, do something different. I don't want to read the same 70 things saying the same stuff and trying to figure out which one is better than the others. Show some creativity sometimes, but the point, the problem with that is not every prof is, uh, not, they're not, you, you need to know your professor. That's the, the lesson here is do not be ultra creative if your professor is ultra conservative, as I learned in Cambridge. So we had we had a famous prof from the US, John Fleming, who wrote the book on torts, Fleming on torts. And he was about 70 year old, years old when he taught me. He was a visiting prof at, at Cambridge. And, you know, his lectures were good. The course was good. But I always had this creative streak. I'm a, this is why Dylan and I do connect in a way. I, and I, I thought when I wrote the exam, I'm not going to write. This is so boring. I'm just going to, I don't going to answer this tort question in a normal way. So I, so I, answer, I answered the tort question as a dialogue between, I think it was Socrates and, and John Fleming. I think I put him in the dialogue and tried to answer a fact pattern while pretending that it was a dialogue between a professor and a famous philosopher. It didn't fly very well with him. <laughs> I have to say that is probably the nerdiest rebellion anyone has ever undertaken. Well, but I'd done similar things in law school and, and it, it often paid off. But, you know, again, sometimes it doesn't pay off. And so you do have to know. You got to know your prop. Although I would have thought Priel would be a bit open to that. But see, maybe he wasn't. But Danny the Manny. I wouldn't have never said, you know, Fleming the... <laughs> I'm trying to think. I can't think of a Fleming on torts. Uh, name, but I wouldn't have done that. Anyway, it's. But I do think there is a room. Lemming for the lemming, I don't know. Yeah, that would that wouldn't work. There are there is room for creativity in law school exams, but you do have to be very careful. I think that that's the 
That's the bottom. Felicity, have you ever uh, have you ever done anything like that? Anything wild and crazy? Well, I haven't, but I have a good exam horror story, and I don't know that Richard's gonna like it, so we may <laughs> we may have to cut this one out. But um, in my, uh, I think it was our, our state midterm, so like our constitutional midterm first exam, we're sitting in one L. Um, we like write this exam, and Richard had told us like there's gonna be three questions, you can choose two, like whatever get out of the exam and immediately ask my friends, like, okay, which questions did you answer? And a friend of mine goes, well, I didn't think there was going to be like 10 questions. And I like had to answer them so fast. So it turns out this poor guy, there was an exam in the room attached to us. And somehow he got the exam of the other section who had covered like completely different material. Yes. (laughs) And poor Richard had to mark it. Oh yeah, I got a I got an email I got an email from student services afterwards. That's so I didn't so Felicity, I so I knew this happened, but I never knew that you were very you knew as well. I, I was sitting beside it. Uh, I could have gotten that exam. Yeah. So and then I, I was standing outside of student services when I heard like the dean or whoever it was that heard about this problem for the first time like shriek. <laughs> like, what is happening? That is so bizarre. Yeah, I get an email saying, uh Professor Haig, there is a student who wrote your midterm who had the wrong exam question. Uh, we have unfortunately gave him somebody else's exam question, um, but will you grade it? And I thought, well, what? How am I supposed to grade that? How am I supposed to combine that grade with all the other grades and then figure out on a curve where this person would sit? But, but you know, basically that's all I could do. So I had to kind of just scramble to figure out... <laughs> I think you're giving way too much credence to how well you prepare your students for the exam that you you hand us in the end. Because I remember sitting down in a seminar style class, and this is, you know, green behind the ears, one else. And you asked us, oh, you know, if you have any questions about the exam, please, please enter the forum now. And I was like, hey, you know, Professor Haig, if you were taking this exam as a one L, what would you do to prepare for it? And you looked around for about 30 seconds before looking back at us and saying, I don't know. <laughs> and moving on to the next question. And I remember being so livid in that moment. Like, here's this professor who's supposed to, like, have taken a million law school exams, who has, you know, just just has so much experience. He's supposed to be this, like, guiding figure and just gave us no guidance whatsoever on how to prepare. Well, well at least he gave you the right exam. Yeah. <laughs> the reason why, yeah, that there's the reason why I don't answer those questions is because... <laughs> Somebody had to prepare for a question on an exam that was not the one that they were assigned by me. So you see what happens. Something like that happens and you have to readjust your entire persona. So Dylan, I think we got to come to an end here. Uh, Felicity, you you always get the last word. What's your, the final question? I hate when I get the last word. My final question is, oh boy. Knowing what you know now, uh, would you still choose to go to McGill or would you want to come back and experience these Osgood horror stories for yourself? (laughs) Man, that's tough. I feel like everything's a learning process. Um, I I think that there are some invaluable things that law school can teach you. most notably that you you don't need to read any of the uh, any of the courses in great detail or any of the cases in great detail. Um, and I think that I'm, I'm carrying forward all of that, all of that experience and knowledge into McGill. So, yeah, yeah, I think uh, I think Osgood was a was a wonderful experience, uh, but I'm not sure if I'd want to go through the whole ordeal again. Well, and given that at McGill, you're just going to get a B anyway. It doesn't matter, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
Uh, well, Dylan, thank you so much. Uh, well, I don't even know if I should thank you. There's too much going on here that's uh, at my expense, but that's okay. I, I knew I was fully expecting it. Anyway, it's great to have you, and we will uh, yeah talk to you again. Hopefully, you won't be a stranger out there in Montreal. Absolutely, it's been a blast. Okay, bye. Bye.